You're listening to The Room Block Podcast, a series of conversations with compelling professionals from the world of events and hospitality. I'm your host, Jen Salerno. I've spent the last 20 years in different facets of the industry, working alongside a variety of people that have one common goal, to serve our customers by creating memorable experiences. Now, I want to share with you the passions, inspirations, and challenges of the individuals who make it happen. Welcome to The Room Block and enjoy your stay. This episode is brought to you by JTS Connect, offering host, MC, and moderation services for live or virtual events, as well as podcast hosting and consultation. Please email me at jtsalerno at gmail.com or visit me on LinkedIn to learn more. Greetings, Room Block podcast listeners. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast where hospitality and event professionals meet. You may have noticed that my interests and topics are broadening a bit on the show, as they are in real life, and while I still love to bring you conversations with compelling professionals from the world of events and hospitality, my goal with the show is to serve this community as well. So once in a while, I'll veer away from who you might consider a typical guest or topic, and dip a toe into other areas that may seem unrelated at first, but I'll always try to bring the relevance back to our community. I mean, hey, I assume you are listening to podcasts to expand your mind and explore new things, so why wouldn't I try to do that here in the room block? The industry is vast, my friends, which is one of the things I love most about it and why I strive to bring you the variety of guests that I do. I would love your thoughts on this direction and welcome your feedback about what you enjoy hearing about as well as what you don't. On that note, as I mentioned at the start, I am diving into the speaking and MC world these days and have been exploring the superstars in this area. A gentleman by the name of Tom Singer caught my eye, or should I say my ear, as he is the host of the official National Speakers Association podcast, Speakernomics, as well as several other podcasts, both his own and others, and he is also a celebrated keynote speaker and event MC. Clearly, this fellow has a lot to say, and I am here to tell you that it is worth listening to. Tom Singer, otherwise known as the Conference Catalyst, is all about community, collaboration, and connection. That is a lot of C's. And would you believe his podcast is called Making Waves at Sea Level? So there is another for you. But after listening to Tom for a while, I realized that this is a man after my own heart. Not only because connection is his passion, but also because he has a strong awareness of the power of meetings and events and all who make them happen. So you see, I simply had to invite him onto the show to hear about how he started working in this capacity and why he values this industry as much as he does. We talk about all that as well as the unique role of the MC and the value that an MC can bring to your event. By the time this episode is over, I'm sure you'll agree that an MC is critical to the success of your event, and also that Tom Singer is an excellent choice. 
Tom Singer. Welcome to the Roombach Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show with me today. Thanks, Jen. It's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, I want to give a little background on how I even know who you are, because <laughs> you know this is a podcast for the hospitality and events industry. Uh, it's an industry that I've been part of for the last two decades. And so I came across your name in a PCMA forum, discussion forum. And there was a question of who do we get to be an MC? Can you recommend a wonderful MC for our event or keynote speaker, one of, one of those? And your name came up. That's really good to hear that somebody said, talk to Tom. So that's a good, that's a, that's a good way to find me. So thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, I, I thought you would enjoy that. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to look this fellow up because, you know, I, kind of a fangirl for speakers i have to be honest i i just i love watching keynote speakers and, and just seeing how you all do what you do i've been inspired by so many well that's that's actually how i got into the business is i was a total fan i was in sales and marketing and when you're in sales and marketing you attend a lot of conferences as a sponsor as an attendee uh, in your industry things for your company and i would watch these great keynote speakers and some of them were famous but most of them were just people who had something interesting to say, but they had just an amazing way to tell the story and motivate people and, and get the audience engaged. And I remember sitting in the audience at these conferences thinking, wow, she or he, they have a better job than I do. And that's how I ended up in the business is I was like, I want to do what they do. Exactly. When you're moved to tears, when you're moved to laughter by something that somebody is just saying on stage and telling a story, it, it is very inspiring. So, yep, I think we I think we have a lot of similarities um, from that standpoint, because you call yourself the, the human connection catalyst. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, it all began. Uh, I also use the term the conference catalyst, and it all began years ago, like 12 years ago, when I first became a professional speaker, I was uh, the opening keynoter for an industry association conference, and they had Q&A was part of it in order to get the CLE credit, continuing education credits, they had Q&A. And the Q&A switched, somebody asked a question about what can we do at this conference to network better? Because I had talked about why human mattered, how your business, all opportunities in life are gonna come from people and how do we treat the people we encounter in our industry? Somebody asked a question about what can we do for the next three days at this event? And I answered the question. Somebody else asked, well, you know, I don't like going to happy hours. I usually go to my room and I gave some advice and the entire 15 or 20 minutes of Q&A was about that conference. And the meeting planner came up to me and said, wow, I think you just changed my event for the better with the advice you gave. The speech was great, but the Q&A about this conference she goes, you were like a catalyst that's going to change how people network. And I was like, ooh, the conference catalyst. And I started working that into my speeches where halfway through the speech, I would always go, hey, I have an idea. Let's use this conference as a human laboratory of how can we connect better. And it worked. And that's how I actually became an MC as I keynoted a couple of conferences. And they're like, we need you back next year, but, but we can't have the same opening keynote. And I said, well, I could come and, and be the host of the show. And I weave that content about how to make the conference better into uh, the actual content that I share. So that's that's how the conference catalyst and then the human connection catalyst content all came about. Mm, I love it. Well, I'm, I'm all about connection as well. And it's I just love being able to connect the dots and to draw those conclusions for people and to just try to give people ideas to take away. So 
how did you develop your keynote speech, your first keynote topic? I'm curious. Well, my background, as I mentioned earlier, was in sales and marketing. And the economy in Austin, Texas, where I live over the last 30 years, has had some ups and downs. Now you hear about Austin, it's all ups. Everybody's moving here. Oh, yeah. and it's, you know, it's a big <laughs> destination for events and things like that. But 30 years ago, it wasn't necessarily that way. And so I actually got laid off several times. But every time I got and by companies that pulled out of Austin or, or went out of business, it was never my fault. But uh, I got laid off a couple of times. And when it happened, people created jobs for me in other companies. Like, like my phone rang when I got laid off. Mm. People started saying, Tom, you're the only person I've ever met who gets laid off up and has a new job in two weeks without having to go through a long search. How are you doing this? And so local organizations uh, that had sales teams and, and other groups started having me come in and talk about how you network better. Like, what does it really mean to be part of your community? And it's not just, oh, I'm going, I need sales or I need a new job. I'm going to go out and network. It's, it's a give and take. And you get out there and you build relationships. And most of it is you try to help others. You look for what they're doing uh, what they need, and can you connect the dots? And honestly, most of the time, any one individual can't connect the dots for everybody. Mm -hmm. But one in seven or one in 10 people, if you ask them, what's your biggest challenge in your career? Every now and then they're gonna, it's a softball across the middle of the plate. And you're like, I can hit this one out of the park. And you develop a reputation for, for serving, for helping. People wanna be around people who are that catalyst for being able to connect all the dots. And so people started asking me to speak about it. And so I started doing that. I was the a marketing director for a law firm and the lawyer made me, lawyers made me create a training course for all of the associates on how do you network and develop business. And I remember giving that first speech because at the end of the speech, one of the partners who I barely knew, I'd only been there a couple months, one of the partners raised his hand and in front of the entire firm, he said, I have a complaint about this speech. And I literally thought, wow, this Whoa. is how we do it in a law firm. Just right in front of everybody, we're going to throw Tom under the bus. <laughs> And his complaint was, I put too much information in the hour and a half presentation. And he said, it really should be a quarterly thing. In fact, from now on, every quarter, you're going to do a training for the associates. And he recommended all the partners come. And then it was a national law firm. He called all the other offices and said, you have to bring, you have to bring our marketing manager in to teach your lawyers this. So I started traveling the country. And then all of those lawyers started referring me to their clients when they would have like a customer meeting or a, a team kickoff for the year. And one day somebody, one of those clients of the law firm said, why do you work for the law firm? Why don't you just do this? And I was like, oh, I, I don't think that's something you get to just do if you're not famous or you haven't written a book. And the guy said to me, he goes, my ex-brother-in-law was a member of the National Speakers Association. Go, go look it up. And that was probably about, well, Kate's 19 years old. So that was 19 years ago. And it, it took me five or six years to go full time into the world of, uh, of speaking. But that's how it sort of all began. And that's where the, the beginnings of this speech about human connection and why it makes a difference. That's how that speech began. But over 19 years, it's changed a lot. Yes, but I mean, for, well, first of all, that might have been must have been quite a uh, hour and a half presentation. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, that that just turned into an entire career. With it's fascinating. It really was, and I still am friends with that partner from the law firm. He's at a different firm now, but I'm still friends with him. And you know, I always tell him that I go, you know, you you kind of launched my career. Exactly, and it just speaks to how 
that connection and the networking and, and all the relationships that you develop over time are so important. I mean, that that you have literally built your career talking about that because of doing it. So which I guess that's kind of the point. That's what makes a successful keynote speaker, I think, is talking about your experience and everything that you've encountered you know, in your life, whether it be challenges or successes. Well, absolutely. And, you know, this, the reason we go to conferences, it gets lost sometimes. The number one reason really is for those networking opportunities. And over the past year and a half with, with the pandemic, we have learned that we can deliver content through a lot of different channels. There are so many online tools. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts. There's uh, uh, virtual conferences. There's so many different ways that we can deliver the content but it's hard to recreate that serendipity of bringing people together and letting them share ideas and thoughts and share experiences. And that's why I think coming into 2022 and beyond, I think the networking portion of live events is going to be realized by meeting planners and attendees that it's more important than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I've been part of multiple virtual events at this point, just kind of, you know, pivoting in, into <laughs> from what I was doing to what I do now. And yes, I feel like everybody is anxious to get back and have that networking piece. Um, but it's been really cool to see what people are able to do virtually. Do you oh, yeah. have do you have anything that you've done with the with the virtual meeting? Because I assume you have been, you know, doing your keynote speaking and emceeing throughout this whole last year and a half. Any tips that you have for engaging over camera? Well, so we definitely have done a lot of, of that type of work. You know, speakers had to, you know, I hate the word pivot, but we've had to, we had to do all that. And, and I've done not a lot of it, not as much as I probably would have liked. It's been, a, you know, the, the pandemic was hard for a lot of people in the meetings industry, and, and I'm not shy about it, that it, that it was hard. But I probably emceed 30 plus events and, you know, spoke at maybe a little less than maybe about 20 keynotes over, over that time, which is probably half of what I would do in a year and a half in a normal a normal period. Mm -hmm. However, the one thing about if you're the speaker or you're planning the event is getting people engaged is you have to set people up in advance of what participation is going to be like in these virtual events because I'm still doing some events now where I'll ask people whether it's Zoom or something else or if they're on camera they can wave their hands around is this, you know, have you been to more than 4 or 5 or 10 or 20 virtual conferences like this one if it's actually a conference? And a lot of people, it's still their first, second, or third one. There, there hasn't been as much participation virtually as we think. Um, right. I talk to a lot of people who don't even like, like they, it's fine for a webinar for an hour, but I talk to a lot of people who won't go to a day-long virtual event. And so, you know, it's still, even after all this time, it's still all over the map. So you set up an advance for people that we're going to have a chat room. We'd like you to ask questions. Here's how it works. We're going to put you into breakout rooms. And you don't have to be, you know, entry level. But if you let people know what to expect from the event, you get better participation. I could see that. And, you know, you make a really good point. Those of us in this industry who are regularly getting on Zoom or getting on a conference platform and participating, maybe we all have that kind of perception like, yeah, everyone's doing this all the time. But you're right. I mean, as somebody who's like in an accounting field or something, maybe it is their first virtual meeting. And, and it does pay to have somebody there to coach them through the process. And it does matter what type of event. Obviously, we've every. I don't think there's a single person who hasn't had some sort of a Zoom meeting. But if it's an internal team meeting, or if it's you know uh, meetings with clients, those are very different than attending an actual conference mm -hmm. because a conference really is an experience, and that's something that 
you know, the, the best of us in the, in the business know is it's not just an agenda and, you know, uh, vats of coffee that cost too much money and, you know, stale cookies. The, the actual event is getting people to feel. That's why on the speaker side, that's why the best speakers tell stories. And that's why the best speakers tell personal stories, not things they read in a book or stories like throwing a starfish into the water that every speaker could retell. The best speakers take things that they have experienced or they take things that other people have experienced and weave them into a brand new way. And that when somebody hears something new and a new point of view, they've done studies on this on the brain. We are wired to learn through story. If you go back hundreds of years, thousands of years, man taught the next generation. We sat around you know, in campfires and men and women shared and, and educated the next generation by telling stories. And so our brain will hold on to the information in a story more than it will from a spreadsheet or a pie graph. And so we need to know that the story part creates an experience. And that's what makes a conference. When you weave all those speakers together over those three days, that's what makes people go, wow, I'm coming back next year. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like you create a narrative for the event by weaving in that story and, and the theme. So yeah, exactly. Well, so you mentioned the different mediums that we have for putting out content and you mentioned a podcast, which obviously we're on right now, but you also host several podcasts. So can you tell us a little bit about those? So seven years ago, right about the time podcasts started to take off, they hadn't yet had that hockey stick where everyone who does breathe air was starting a podcast, <laughs> but... But uh, I decided I wanted to do it. And it wasn't a vehicle to market my business. It wasn't even on the topic that I did. I wanted access to entrepreneurs and business leaders because as a professional speaker, I am a solo business. I, am, I, I run a little business. And I wanted access to smart entrepreneurs who were doing cool things because I wanted inspiration on how did you grow your business and how did you do things. So I started a podcast seven years ago called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And I changed the name last year because during the pandemic, one of the things I did is I went to work part-time doing business development for an international executive search firm. So one of the big firms that, that helps like associations and companies find their top C-level leaders. And the word entrepreneur in the title of my podcast wasn't congruent. So I changed the name of the podcast to Making Waves at C-level, as in CEO, CIO, CFO, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the show is still the same show. I, I interview really smart people who are doing cool things in business. So that's how I started it. But I really didn't realize it was going to become a big tool for me to get business. People listen to it. and I talk about what I do for a living when I'm doing interviews. And that has led to me being hired to be a master of ceremonies and a speaker. But I've now done 700 episodes of the show. Wow. So another thing I did during the pandemic, because you got to be scrappy in the meetings business and in the, in the speaker world. Uh, <laughs> I started hosting podcasts for other associations and companies where I am their paid host because either they don't have someone on staff who has the skill or the bandwidth to run their show, or they don't want to give it to volunteers because some associations have politics and why did Becky get to do it and not me? And so they want to bring someone in with those skills from the outside and they want continuity. If you have a volunteer, they might do it for a year, then you get someone new, then the show changes. So I work with groups that want continuity for multi-years of their podcast uh, to have an interview show. And so I host a show called the Digital Enterprise Society Podcast, uh, a show for a company that does sales training stuff called uh, the Sales Tech Podcast. And then I also was asked to start a program with the National Speakers Association, which I'm an active member, and it's called Speakernomics. And I think you've listened to that one. 
I'm a huge fan. Yes, <laughs> it's a great show. And I mean, I love how you bring people on and you just tackle all these different areas of public speaking and why it's so beneficial. So it's, uh, yeah, it's great. And I, I like the way you format it. You are, you are a wonderful host. So I will Thank give you. you credit. And you know, that's <laughs> honestly that I have to agree with you starting a podcast that is one of the major benefits for me is and that's why you're here frankly is because i get to you know in a way pick your brain or have you know, just have a discussion with somebody that i admire so it's it's been a really fun part of doing it for me too and i will tell you it's one of the best networking tools i've ever encountered because we're sitting here now it's audio but you and i can see each other on zoom and you start to feel like you spent time with people and, and what i teach is when you share experiences when you spend time together that becomes the foundation for a friendship. So with some of the guests I've interviewed on all four shows, some of those guests, we've hit it off and we've kept in touch and, and a friendship has occurred over the years. And you know, like I said, some of them have referred me to come speak at their companies. I think a podcast is one of the best tools for an individual or an organization if they properly harness it as that tool to expose people to their organization or to, to their company. And if they then use that from there, then you have to do the things to keep a relationship alive. But it's a great way to open a door. You are speaking my language. I complete <laughs> no, I completely agree. You know, and so to go back to the meetings and hospitality industry, you know, I have to admit, I was surprised. I tried to look it up one day to see, well, who has a podcast? You know, does Hilton have a podcast? Does Marriott, you know, or a whole bunch of different associations? And, you know, there's not as many as you would think. I was going to say a lot have tried and they it's called pod fade there's actually a term in the industry that people start a podcast and they expect amazing results in 10 episodes and then they get busy and their phone's not ringing and so they just say well we'll, we'll skip this week and then they skip three weeks and then all of a sudden you know it's been three months and then the show dies away so to keep a podcast alive does take a labor of love but you're right more people in the hospitality industry should have been in on this thing because it's a great tool the the speakernomics show has been very helpful in driving membership and driving people to the conference for the National Speakers Association. Completely. I mean, I at this point, I did not even know what NSA was. And now I do. And now I listen to the show. And I follow them on Instagram. And, you know, next step will be becoming a member going to the conference. Yes, And exactly. we will welcome you. You will well, be welcomed you. with open arms. <laughs> Fabulous. Driven by all by the podcast. But... Yeah. And, and again, it's that story is a great way to tell a story, which is, again, what you know, kind of drives people towards action. So let's talk about some of your experience. I mean, so, you know, I have people on the show who are, you know, I have a lot of hoteliers, meeting planners, that kind of thing. And that's my audience, too. But I also like to talk to people who contribute to the industry. And that's why you're here, frankly, because, you know, speakers and MCs really, are, you know, kind of are, you know, not the backbone, but you're, you weave through the whole thing. So tell me about what has been some of your favorite parts about working within this industry. Well, I was exposed to the greater hospitality industry long before I was ever a speaker. Number one, I actually worked in a hotel uh, when I was in college for two and a half years. So I really? was the front, front desk clerk, but it was a smaller hotel. Uh, it was a three chain hotel. And so there, there wasn't a lot of as many resources as a Hilton or a Marriott or something like that. So you ended up having to do a lot of things. You know, when you were at the front desk, they, if we were, had a slow check-in, but they were having two back-to-back -back events, you might have to go do a tight turn in the ballroom. Or, you know, maybe uh, the, a bellman was out sick that day and, and you'd show up and they'd be like, guess what? Change your shirt. You're a bellman today. <laughs> and so I got exposed to a lot of aspects of the hotel industry. And then 31 years ago, I met a very nice young woman 
uh, and I met my wife the old-fashioned way. I, I met her in a bar. Actually, <laughs> she prefers, I say, a microbrewery. But, uh, yes, yes. And one of the interesting things was, of course, you ask somebody when you meet them, what do you do? And she was a catering manager for Hyatt Hotels. And so I knew about the hotel business. Well, we moved across country with a relocation with Hyatt and with a job for me. And again, it was one of those things that their hotel, even though it was part of Hyatt, the general manager believed all hands on deck. And so when you know she had a catering thing in, they had a tight turn. If I wasn't busy that day, she'd go and say, hey, can you come help? And the general manager at the Hyatt used to say, wow, you have done more tight turns here than half my employees. <laughs> so you know, I was there always helping my wife and, and she and I talk a lot. So I knew kind of what was going on with the different clients that she did. And she started as a catering manager. She went to what they called meetings connections, which was smaller meetings that were booked short term. Mm -hmm. She went on to be a, a sales manager and then their, uh, their head of individual travel. She actually worked there for about 11 years at the Hyatt, 10 years at the Hyatt in Austin. And um, so I, I knew the business intimately from the hotel side uh, before I ever got into the uh, uh, the world of being a speaker. So my experiences with it is, is that I always tell people in other industries, if you want to find somebody with a great work ethic who doesn't know your industry but will work hard, hire people who work in hotels mm. because or any part really of the meetings industry. In the meetings industry, you have to be scrappy. You have to be, you have to have ingenuity. You have to be creative. So I find it to be a fun group of people to work with, especially the ones who say things like, hey, are you willing to try something new? And when you find a meeting planner who says, I don't want my agenda to look just like last year. I want to try this. And they call and brainstorm ideas. You know, even, even if in the end they don't try the wild ideas, I like, I like how creative people are in the meetings industry. So my experience all along the way has really been positive, that, that it's a fun business with really smart people with a lot of ingenuity. Well, and who knew you were actually one of us? I did not know that <laughs> having your hotel experience and with your everything that you learned from your wife. That's so cool. And, you know, it's it really must have helped you in your career to kind of have that knowledge of hotels and meetings, because then you can speak the language of the meeting professional. The hospitality industry is an industry that is different from others. It just, it has its own way it operates and it's not the same as, you know, oh, well, you know, I used to work at a bank, I, I understand. Well, you know, no, you probably don't. It's a, the, the hospitality industry, it's, it's complicated and people don't realize when they attend a party, how many movie or a wedding reception or a conference, how many moving parts are going on behind the scenes. And there are hundreds of moving parts behind a successful event. I've heard meeting planners say that they feel most rewarded in their job when people don't actually even know that they exist. Like the attendee doesn't realize what how big their role really is because it just seems so seamless on the front end. And then that's part of the MC's work as well. Well, and that's another thing that, you know, people think, oh, well, you're the MC, you just tell people where the bathrooms are and tell them what time to be back from lunch. But there are so many things when you serve as a master of ceremonies that you have to be doing. And one of the ones is, and, and a lot of MCs don't do this, is you have to be on site and visible the whole time. Because even if you aren't actually an employee of the organization who has hired you, you're the face of the conference. You're the host, which means I, t I remind people all the time. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to MC, but they only have a general session, you know, from eight to 10 every morning. And the rest of the day I can go, you know, tour Chicago or do whatever. And it's like, well, wait a minute. When they have breakouts, the MC should be present at the coffee break and you know the meals and things like that. You wouldn't invite people to your home for a dinner party 
and then go to bed at seven o'clock and leave them out in the living room. So <laughs> the MC has to be there. Plus, if you go to the cocktail party, if you attend a couple of breakouts, if you're there at the cookie break, you start hearing what's going on and you start to understand the vibe. And then the next morning when you come up on stage, you say, wow, what did you guys think of that party at the museum last night? I heard someone say, bum, 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 and all of a sudden you're part of it. And then people are more connected. You're, it's, it's much more of a role than that. And what we learned with virtual over the last year and a half is that the MC is not a throwaway role. To a lot of people, it was like, well, I've talked to a lot of meeting planners who say, we just have our board chair be the MC. But if you turn over your board every year or your, your chairmanship every year, sometimes you're going to get people who don't want to be on stage. They don't want to be the MC or they don't have the skill uh, for a lot of different reasons, people's personalities, their experience levels. And in fact, I'm often hired to be the MC for an organization who has never used an MC before mm. because their board chair has said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do it. So there's one organization that used me and they'd never, they'd always just had their, their CEO and their board chair kind of host everything. And one year the board chair was like, no, I, it's, I'm not comfortable doing that level of onstage work in front of 3000 people. So they made a budget item. They hired me to do it. And then they used me for the next five years and they, they didn't do anything virtually, but they will be back next year. I guess next year will be my fifth year that I'll be back with this organization and other board chairs have the personality and all this, but they're like it was so much better to have somebody from the outside, you know, who comes in with, you know, the different level of energy and, and knows how the conference, you know, knows how conferences run. So once someone uses an MC, they often will always use an MC. It also makes the meeting planner's job easier because a good MC is an extra set of eyes watching everything that's happening. If there's anything that bubbles up, the MC is often the first person who might know. That is so true. And especially if you're doing the job that you said, which is to integrate yourself within the conference in general. So serving as that catalyst for connection. Right? And, and I definitely think that because of the weirdness and, and the newness and all the moving parts of virtual, bringing in an MC who had good energy, who had a good camera setup, who you could trust would be there. Um, I work with a woman named Eliz Green and we started a thing called the Conference Talk Show where we do the, if it's a hybrid event, we do the uh, virtual version of the hybrid event like a talk show so that the people at home feel they've come on to The View or the Today Show or something like that. And people like it because they don't, the meeting planner doesn't have to worry about it. And they know that if there's dead air, if a guest doesn't show up, if a speaker loses connectivity, if it's a virtual event, we're there to fill that time and, and we come with content. And we've done that a few times where a speaker can't log in and we just come on and saying, hey, there's some technical difficulties, but let's talk a little bit right now about human connection and we'll interview each other or we'll interview someone else who can log in and, and keep the whole thing flowing. It really is having a great MC, whether it's virtual, hybrid or in person, is an insurance policy to make sure you don't have dead air if something happens. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> all right. Well, good. Thank you so much for all of that. So now before we sign off, and this has been a great conversation, so thank you so much. But thank I you. want to just ask you if you'd like to have a chance to offer or to issue a compliment or a complaint. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back and listen to past episodes. I want to hear who complains. I'm, I'm a compliment guy. So I'm going to go <laughs> well, with a compliment. The okay, first thing okay. that comes to mind, I sort of alluded to it earlier, is I love meeting organizers who want to be playful. 
who want to break a few eggs while they're making a souffle, or I don't think that's a term, but whatever. They, <laughs> they want to get their hands dirty, whatever, whatever, whatever the right analogy is here. And they want to try something new. So uh, the National Tour Association, which is uh, people who put on like large bus tours and tour guides and own tour companies, several years ago, I had, I had done breakouts for them, I don't know, like three or four years in a row. And they came to me and said, we want to do something entirely different with our opening general session. Now, I'd never been their keynoter. They'd always had sort of celebrities and things like that in the keynotes, the keynote role. And they said, we want to do something different. Are you willing to play with us? We think, we think you're a good partner to try to create this. And they had an idea, but it wasn't thought through. And together, we figured out, they, they said, we want to throw out the idea of a keynote speaker. And I said, as a keynote speaker, I think that's a horrible idea. But they, <laughs> they told me what they wanted to do. And we created a thing that they call BizNet. I now use it with my clients and I call it the industry think tank. And what it is, is instead of a keynote speaker, I do like a 10 or 15 minute keynote about the power of conversations. And it, can, it changes up. I've done it for them for many years. So my keynote has to change, but it's short and it sets the tone and everybody's at tables and they have been pre-assigned up to, and they've done this with like close to a thousand people. They've been pre-assigned so that you're not sitting with your coworkers and you're not just a table of vendors or just a table of tour, tour operators, that it's, it's very, you know, kind of a different group. And they're brought in and we set the tone and then they have been polled in advance for what are the four most burning questions for the industry. And they're Ooh. often around sales or marketing or finance or some other things. And we've taken a two-hour session then, and I speak for, call it 15 minutes, set it up, and then they get a question on the screen. And at their table, everybody talks about it. And I run around and talk to the different tables and find some things out. And then after the time has expired of like 15 minutes or whatever it is, I run around like Phil Donahue or Oprah Winfrey or whoever into the, the audience with my uh, microphone, and we interview the tables so that all the things can be shared Plus, we ask that someone at the table scribe the best ideas, and then they're able to create a document of the best ideas for the industry. Then we go to a second question. Then they have to get up and switch tables, and it's been pre-assigned, and it's kind of a mathematical equation that they've created to move people around. But during it, I play a game called The Power of Hello, and they have to meet somebody new. And you could do like a birds of the feather you know, you know, sit around a table and talk at a, a table thing. And those usually don't work really well. It's the facilitation of how we have together created what we do. People go through a couple of hours of four different questions. And at the same time, they're networking. They meet a couple of people and they're at tables with people who aren't their besties and they're meeting all these people. And then we launch them into the conference with what can you do with what you learned and how can you be on the outlook for these ideas and for the other people you've already talked to? So it sets the ground for great networking because they've met 10 or 12 people who they've never met before and had real conversations about real issues that are important. And at the same time, the organization is getting a list of what are the solutions and the problems people face around these issues. So wow. I love, and that came, I, I can't take credit for it. I helped mold how we do it and I facilitated every time and, and, They've done it for many years and they're coming back to in-person and we're doing it again in person this year. But uh, I can't take credit for the idea because it was their idea. But what they did is they didn't just take a half-baked idea and do it. They said, let's find somebody to partner with and really create this. And we spent, we spent weeks talking about 
what will work, what won't, how will we move them from table to table? Will people like this? And you can't do it during a meal because nobody wants to change tables when someone's half eaten pork chop is there. So true, right? <laughs> like, no, but what I loved about this story and the impetus of this was they called me up and said, are you willing to play? And what's great about that as a speaker is if it hadn't worked, it was not my fault. I can't come to an organization who's paying me a healthy fee and experiment with something because that's not fair to that organization. And good if point. it flops, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not good for me. But when you partner with somebody, whether it's a speaker or any other type of vendor, and you say, hey, we want to try something new and it's a safe space for you. Let's do this together. And you know, it's not like they just gave me a canvas and some paint. They, they kept it within parameters and said, ah, we don't like that idea. And I did the same thing with them. I think it's a compliment when people say, let's play, we can create something new. And they've used it for years and not every year, because some years they'll have a speaker and some years they won't. But this goes back many years now. Uh, they've used BizNet as a thing at larger and smaller conferences. And I've now done it for about another dozen uh, associations and companies for their events. And you have to morph it to that group. So you got to find people who want to play. But that's my favorite compliment to people in the industry is be playful and we're all going to have more fun. Oh. I completely agree. And what a perfect way to describe how you can infuse energy and just a good attitude into a conference. And I mean, that's exactly what you are there to do. You learned a whole bunch from it. And then the attendees also hugely benefited from it between the networking and getting, you know, just their brain juices flowing, moving into the conference with the, in the right way. So hats off to you guys. That's so fun. All right. Well, Tom, we are up for our time today, but I just really want to thank you again for being on the show and talking a little bit about the importance of MC work and how you came to be the fantastic <laughs> keynote speaker and MC that you are. So thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, you do a great job with the podcast. I can't wait to listen to more episodes. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you.